0: If you come to anyone and you ask questions of them with no judgment, but simply curiosity, concern, and a desire to understand them better, the questions not only aren't offensive, they're tremendously affirming, they're actually complimentary.
1: Hi, I'm Mission Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work.
0: Hello, everybody. And thank you all for being here. I'm, I'm really honored to be here today for a few reasons, actually. The first is that I deeply believe in Mind Valley's vision of unity. In fact, I believe in this idea of unity so strongly that last year, my team and I created a docu series on PBS called "Connected: A Search for okay. Unity." So yeah. I know a bunch of you have told me you've seen that on PBS, and hopefully, some more of you'll get a chance to check that out. But there's another reason. And, and uh, while it's a shame I can't see all of your beautiful faces today, I was blessed to get to know a bunch of really special Mind Valley people after my podcast with Vision last year. So thank you all so much to all of you for reaching out to me. Incredible people, incredible communication I had with you, and it was just incredibly touching. So I'm really glad to be back with all of you today. In fact, I'm so glad all of us are here with Vision and the Mind Valley team, working to bring the people in our world closer together so we can all live in harmony and be better able to care for each other while we grow, learn, and enjoy living the most magical, worthwhile lives possible. So, Mind Valley, as you all know, is, is really about changing lives, changing your life, changing other people's lives. But who is going to do that? Who is it that's going to change other people's lives? And the answer is, of course, you are, we are. And how are you gonna do that? And the answer is that you're gonna change lives by bringing out the very best in other people, by leading them to be at their best, by harnessing the power of people. And um, that is what I'm here to talk to you all about today. You know, the biggest waste in our world right now, I think, is the waste of human potential. Billions of people are not living as fully and powerfully as they can, but each of you has the power to change that. Each of us with no further education and experience than we already have, hold the power to profoundly change other people's lives. We have the opportunity to become a force in this world by harnessing the power of people and bringing out the best in them to achieve things that neither we nor the people we lead would have even thought possible. Now, keep in mind, leadership isn't just a skill needed by CEOs and executives. Each and every one of us is called to lead every single day in our families, among our friends, with our neighbors, our colleagues, maybe in churches, clubs, or in the workplace. So very quickly, I just want to take a moment to discuss the difference between management and leadership, because I don't want anyone during this presentation to get the two confused ever again, (laughs) to the extent anyone does. Most of what we see in the world today, though, is management, okay? And management is about getting someone to do something you want them to do. So generally, the way people manage is to manipulate people through financial incentives, rewards, punishments, sometimes, performance reviews, quotas, and so forth. But leadership is completely different. Leadership is about helping someone accomplish something that they themselves want to accomplish, which also happens to advance the leader's mission. So leadership is how we harness the power of people. Leadership is how we help people become the best version of themselves. And leadership is our highest calling, because to do it right, we need to bring out the very best in the people around us. So today, I'm going to share some lessons from my life and some of the moments that helped me understand that the greatest honor and sense of fulfillment, but also the greatest power in my life, will come not from working towards my own success, but instead helping the people around me become the very best version of themselves. Let me start by looking back about 40 years to one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. When I was 15 years old, I got my first real job at Dairy Queen. I was hired to be a cook back in the kitchen and we were cooking hamburgers and french fries and chicken sandwiches and so forth. And I was paid $2.85 an hour, which I thought was perfectly fair. In addition to that, I got free food, which I thought was a great deal. And this Dairy Queen was a little different than other Dairy Queens because it was right across the street from a number of mental health facilities and places that helped people that had dependence on drugs or alcohol. And uh, a lot of people would come in from these places, many of them homeless, and they'd come in and order coffee and they'd sit for hours and hours and hours just sitting with a cup of coffee in the dining room. And I was so curious. I was a curious kid generally. I mean, I uh, I wanted to understand everything and everyone in the world. And I think I annoyed my father quite a lot, to be honest, and just peppered him with questions day in, day out. And my kids, of course, did the same to me as a young kid. So what comes around goes around, I guess. But uh, anyway. I wanted to know these people who came into our dining room. Who were they? Why did they come in alone every day? Were they homeless? What kind of lives were they living? So one day on break, I, I took a tray of food, tray of food, remember? And uh, I asked if I could sit down with a man. So, and I said, hey, can I sit down with you? And he, and he looked up and he was a bit surprised, maybe a little shocked, but he said, yeah, sure, please. And I sat down and I introduced myself to him and uh, he told me his name was Will. And so Will and I started a conversation. And during that conversation, I started asking him a whole bunch of questions, you know, hey, so uh, I see you here a lot. So do you live nearby? And he told me, no, actually, he's homeless. And I said, well, you know, how, you know, how did you come to be homeless? And I asked him every question you could ever be curious about questions. Most people probably would have never asked him, you know, why do you always get coffee? Aren't you hungry? Uh, you know. Told me he didn't have much money. And I said, well, okay, but you know, you got cigarettes. Why are you buying cigarettes instead of food? You know, how long have you been homeless? Do you have any family in the area? Do you have anyone who helps take care of you? Anyone you can call? All the questions you might ask. Now, it might sound to you guys that these questions were a bit probing, maybe a bit rude. But you know what? No, the exact opposite was true. Why? Because if you come to anyone and you ask questions of them with no judgment, but simply curiosity, concern, and the desire to understand them better, the questions not only aren't offensive, they're tremendously affirming. They're actually complimentary. And that's one lesson I learned from my time at Dairy Queen, that no question is offensive if it's asked without judgment and with a genuine desire to understand somebody. You know, in fact, when I asked these questions to Will, I watched and Will began to blossom right in front of my eyes. He sat up higher in his chair. He became more alert and upbeat. He looked me in the eye. He was more confident. He was happier. He was excited. Will was literally changing before my eyes. I enjoyed my time with Will immensely. And I hated to end the break and go back to work. And, you know, I didn't realize till much later, years later, all of the lessons I'd learned from getting to know this wonderful man, He had taught me so many things, but for today, I'd like to share the one that's perhaps most profound, and that is this. The simple act of sitting down with someone because we really want to get to know them and understand them better is incredibly powerful. It can change someone's life. You see, when we ask someone a question, we promote them to become our teacher. We're showing them that we value them and that we can learn from them, and we know we can learn from them. All of us in this world share the exact same desire to be seen, valued, understood, and loved. And I'll probably repeat that many times today. But when somebody sees, values, loves, and understands us, we begin to blossom just like a flower blossoms in the radiance of the sunlight. And everyone in the world, it turns out, wants exactly this. But let me say it in a simpler way. Loving someone is powerful. And that's really what I'm saying. And when people are loved, it changes them. So while I didn't realize the lesson at this time, I now know that the reason Will changed before my eyes is that I was loving him. And it didn't matter that I was a 15-year-old kid with no special education of any kind, just a high school kid. Maybe even junior high at that point. Yeah, probably, just going to high school. But it didn't matter, I was a 15-year-old kid, no education, no training, no money, no fame, no nothing special about me. But when I started to ask him questions, when I was curious to better understand him, when I showed him that I was concerned about him, that I wanted to learn from him, that I believed in him, that I cared for him, that I found him to be important and significant, enough for me to want to learn from. All of these things really are the same thing as loving him. And so he began to blossom. Well, since I'm using the word love a lot here, and I don't want to freak people out, you know, because people get freaked out about the word love sometimes. So let me read a section from my book real quick, where I describe what love means to me. Uh, You know, a lot of you I know have read my book. You've reached out to me. Thank you. It's uh, Love is Free, Guac is Extra. And for those of you who have it, I'm just going to read from page 34, a couple paragraphs. Love is what remains when one releases judgment. The absence of judgment allows true understanding, which gives rise to forgiveness, acceptance, compassion, and thus love. To love someone is to feel their truth, feel their essence, the reality of their being beyond personality or ego. When you know a person's truth and are completely present, such that you can feel their essential nature, a feeling of love naturally emerges. The words, I love you, imply a closeness a depth, an understanding, and a camaraderie of souls. By saying you love someone, you're saying, I see you, I know you, understand you, appreciate you, accept you, and I feel a kinship, a closeness to you arising from that association. There is an awareness that the two of you share a sacred connection, a familiarity and oneness with a universally available consciousness. While love is magical and wonderful, it is not rare. Love is free. It is what is left over when one removes everything else. In my view, it is synonymous with truth and God. Now, when I say God, I'm not referring to the God of any specific religion. Instead, when I use the word God, I'm referring to a powerful force that is greater than us, that is beautiful, forgiving, and all knowing, the purest embodiment of love and goodness. So that's what I mean when I say love. And here's where I want to interject something else about love. We have all become accustomed and even comfortable to talking about loving our families, our children, our friends, our pets. We give greeting cards that almost always have words about love in them. All of the most popular songs in the world, whether you like country or rock and roll, are almost all love songs. But for some reason, when it comes to the world of business, we don't hear about love anymore. We don't talk about it anymore. People seem to believe that love simply doesn't belong in the business world. Instead, in business, we talk about carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments, quotas, write-ups, performance reviews, techniques to increase employee engagement, employee management systems. And then we wonder why our businesses aren't healthy, why our people seem unhappy at work, why they're unproductive, disengaged, why they don't care about their work oftentimes. Well, let me ask you this. Would your family be happy if you used a management system to try to increase their engagement? Would you have good relationships with your friends if you told them that you were gonna use a tool to measure their friendship on a daily basis? If you told your spouse that you were gonna write her up if she didn't uh, perform to your standards, how would that go over? I'm not gonna try that, okay? If you came uh, home to your kids and introduced them to a new childhood management system to increase their productivity and efficiency, do you think your kids would respond pretty well to that? I don't think so. Well, anyway, folks, business is no different. Businesses are no different. Like families, businesses are groups of people, each of whom has a need to be seen, valued, understood, and loved. And people have that need just as much at work as they do at home. Maybe more so because they're less familiar with the people around them at work. They feel a little more lonely. They feel more displaced. So everyone needs to understand and remember forever that love belongs in business just as much as it belongs in your home. Well, as Will continued to come into Dairy Queen over the following months, we kept sharing time together. And over time, I saw a profound change in him. He looked more alive. He took better care of himself. He started bragging how he was giving up smoking, how he was eating better, how he was proud that he was improving his life. And I, as a 15-year-old boy with no education, nothing special about me, had been a catalyst for this transformation in in his demeanor and that made me feel useful and that made me feel valuable. Our mutual friendship and care and concern for each other felt amazing. It was deeply enriching for both of us and I'd made a new friend. Now our society would have us believe that Will was not someone worthy of our attention, let alone worthy of learning from, but the exact opposite was true. We can learn from anybody and everybody. And again, while I didn't even realize all the lessons that I was learning until much later in life, Will was one of the most important teachers in my lifetime. Well, years later, being such a curious person as I was and seeing the rewards that came from asking questions, it's no wonder I was drawn to the law. So in the mid-1980s, I became a trial lawyer in Los Angeles, let's say 90s. After, and after a few years practicing law in Los Angeles, I moved back to Colorado to raise a family and joined a, a small law firm in Denver, Colorado. So at this law firm, I learned another great lesson that would change me forever. When I joined the firm, I was told that I needed to do three things to become a partner. I needed to be a great lawyer. I needed to be a great leader. And I needed to develop my own practice. In other words, my own clients bring business into the firm. Well, I had a head start from Los Angeles. I'd worked really hard for a number of years there as a trial lawyer in a big law firm. And I was a pretty good lawyer. So I thought, eh, I think I'll do okay on that front. And I really wasn't sure what becoming a leader meant. So I didn't worry about it. And in order to develop a practice, I figured I'd just have to work really hard and do a great job. And then hopefully people would tell others and I would get clients. So I worked hard. And as I worked harder and harder and harder, I finally did start to develop a practice. In fact, I got really, really busy. And when I got busy, I had two young kids at home at that point, eventually three, but at that point, two young kids at home. And I didn't want to miss out on dinner with them. So I would just come in earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier in the morning because they were sleeping then anyway. And so I kept coming in earlier and earlier, 7 a.m. every day, then 6 a.m. every day, then 5 a.m. every day, then 4 a.m. every day. And I kept pushing earlier and earlier. And one day after working in my office for about an hour, I looked up the clock and it was 2 a.m. And I thought, oh, shit, I was working so hard. I had lots of clients by this time. I was giving a lot of work to junior associates, but I didn't know if I could keep this up. And somehow that night, a voice in my head asked me a question. Are you a leader? Now keep in mind by this time i was considered a superstar associate in my firm in fact the managing partner of the firm actually used those words to describe me he said you're a superstar you have an incredibly bright future in this firm and i loved hearing that it's great for my ego but that night all alone in my office at 2 a.m i realized i was mostly about me my ego was in control i wanted to be the hardest working i wanted to build the most hours i wanted to be the most loved associate i wanted to have the most clients i wanted i wanted this and that and the other and i had achieved all those things but to be honest it didn 't feel satisfying, and it occurred to me I was thinking about me, me me. was I a leader, someone worthy of being followed by other people? Not really, keep in mind you know the only source of a leader's power is that other people choose to follow that leader. Why would someone follow someone who's mostly about themselves? well, they wouldn't so I had a lot of junior associates working for me, and I was a nice guy, and they were doing okay but even though my ego was inflated, I wasn't that fulfilled. And so that night or that morning, really at 2 a.m. is when I totally changed. I began to invest myself in others. Suddenly I was all about training and empowering the junior associates. I wanted to help them become the best they could be. Besides, if I was gonna be able to take great care of future clients at, the, at this law firm, I knew I couldn't do it all myself anymore. You know, If the law firm was gonna grow, if I was gonna grow, I needed to harness the power of the people around me, help them be at their best. So I taught them all I could. I empowered them. Instead of working to make myself better, I worked to make them better. And guess what? It was really fun. And it was fulfilling. And it was exciting. And it was addicting. And the culture of the law firm just became magical. And our financial results took off. Our ability to do more work took off. We attracted more and better associates. We got more and more work. And soon, I was seen by the partners as a leader. And I was made a partner myself. And soon after that, the founder of the firm asked me to be the new CEO of the firm, and I accepted that job.
1: One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality, to health and wellness, to relationship, is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You would just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step-by-step-by-step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way. Because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. Well,
0: again, I didn't realize the significance of it at that time, but I had learned an incredibly important lesson. And here's what that lesson was caring about others and dedicating yourself to their well being is the most powerful way to achieve success in your life and in business. In fact, I'll say it this way for the ones who doubt, even if all you cared about was your own success, the best way you could achieve that would be to focus all your attention on making the people around you better. Well, one of my clients at this time at the law firm was a little company called World Foods, Inc. And World Foods ran a couple of restaurants under the name Chipotle Mexican Grill. And Chipotle's founder, or World Foods founder, who ran Chipotle, his name was Steve, and he used to come by the firm and he noticed the culture of the firm. But folks, it was impossible not to notice the culture. The, all the people at the law firm were working really, really hard, but they were running around excited. They had a lot of energy. They were smiling at each other. They looked purposeful. They looked important. They looked fulfilled. And he asked me, how did you do this? How did you build this culture? Well, I said, "It's going." Kind of, eh, do you want the quick answer or the slow answer? You know? And he said, no, I really want to know. And so I said, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch and I talked to him for over two hours about how I built the culture at the law firm. And At the end of that lunch, he asked me, will you come build this culture at Chipotle? No, I told him, I love it at my firm and I, I don't want to leave. And besides, uh, you know, by that time, our firm was a huge success. It was growing 40% year over year, every year. But over the next four to five years, Steve stayed after me. And I kept telling him, no, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. What do I know about the food business? I'm a lawyer. But he said, one day, okay, so about four and a half years in, he said, no, Monty, a lawyer is what you do, but a leader is what you are, or who you are. I think he said who you are. And I thought, oh, he said, I know that what you have here at the law firm is really special, but just think, at Chipotle, you could impact so many more lives. Long story short, I finally said yes. In one of my first days on the job at Chipotle, Steve asked me to address a large group of area managers. Now, I didn't even know that they were there. Even funnier, they didn't even know there was a new president and chief operating officer at Chipotle. So I went into this room with all these area managers. And he's like, and I said, what am I going to say? What you? you know, I was all nervous. And he just threw me in there because just talk to him. You'll figure it out. So I walked and went into this room and all these people were looking at me. And so I said, hi, everybody. My name is Monty. I know some of you. As some of you might know, I'm the new president and COO here at Chipotle. And then I said, you know, a sentence like this. I said, basically, I don't know what I'm doing. I come from a law firm and I built a really neat culture there that I'm proud of. But here, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to need your help. Well, it turns out that those are magic words. And when I said them, I could see everyone's shoulders sort of slump. People get a little less cold, a little more receptive, a little happier. Those three words, I need you, are some of the most powerful words you could ever say to somebody, by the way. But when I told them I needed them, all of a sudden they were like, oh, Okay, this isn't just some guy from another place who's going to come in and tell us what to do. They were relieved. And then as I discussed things further, I said a second, I think, very important thing. And that was, I said, at my law firm, I built a culture based on a foundational principle. And I would like to build a culture with all of you here at Chipotle based on that same foundational principle. And here's what that foundational principle is. The principle is that each of us will be rewarded based on our effectiveness in making the people around us better. Each of us will be rewarded based on our effectiveness in making the people around us better. They seemed to sort of like that. I wasn't convinced they knew exactly what it meant yet, so I talked about it for a while, talked about what I meant by that, and they got more and more comfortable with that statement. They seemed to like it. And then I said the third thing. Now keep in mind, these were area managers, so these were not the general managers who run individual restaurants. These were the people to whom those general managers report. And so I said, the next thing I said, uh, didn't go over so well initially. I said, and folks, the general manager position is the most important position in this company. And all of a sudden I saw them look around, get nervous, and they didn't like that too much. You see, and I knew why it it bothered them a little bit. You know, they're area managers. They thought that I meant that they weren't important. And so quickly I said, well, wait a minute, folks. Keep in mind that, you know, Tiger Woods is the best golfer in the world, but even Tiger Woods has a coach. And you guys, you area managers, your job is to make our general managers better, to empower them, to give them all the tools they need to be successful, to help them be at their best. And that's really critical. And then they felt good again. Well, after that meeting, it went terrific. I had meetings with them afterwards. I promised I'd come see all of them in their regions and get to know them and learn from them. And then I left the meeting. But afterwards, I thought, well, if it's really true that the general manager is the most important job in this company... I better understand that role perfectly. And so what I did is I decided I would go into one of our restaurants, into our MIT programs, that's manager in training. So we had a manager in training program where we trained all of our managers. And so I said, I asked someone in the company to put me into a store where no one knew who I was. And I would go through this management training program with other people who were also hired from the outside to go through this program. So I went to the store where no one knew who I was. And what did I find? Well, I found these wonderful crew people, but they weren't being led. No one was really trying to bring out the best in them. No one was even talking about leadership. They didn't have a vision. No one had ever told them that they mattered or that they were needed or that they were important. They didn't feel seen, valued, understood, and loved. They were being told what to do by managers. And those managers were being told what to do by area managers. Area managers were being told what to do by operations directors and so on and so forth all the power was at the top of the organization far from where that power could do any good for a customer why why was it this way well it was this way because the people at the top did not know yet what i had learned at my law firm which is that again caring about others and dedicating yourself to their well-being is the most powerful way to achieve success in your life and in business here the people at the top kept trying the same old forgive my French, tired bullshit that most managers try. They uh, they kept telling people in the restaurants what to do, and they tried all sorts of manipulative tricks to get them to do better. Bonuses, quotas, contests, carrots, sticks, useless, tired, old attempts to try to manipulate the people to doing a good job. But since the people didn't feel seen, valued, understood, and loved, since they didn't feel cared for, since they didn't feel needed, since they didn't feel important, they weren't at their best. They weren't empowered. There was no spring in their step. They didn't care much about the restaurant, and customer service suffered as a result. The line moved slowly. Customers became frustrated. And, you know, it occurs to me that the people at the top didn't know, also didn't know what i learned from Will at Dairy Queen all those years before. They didn't know that the simple act of sitting down with someone, caring for them, and wanting to get to know and understand them better is incredibly powerful, that it makes people blossom. And they didn't know that love, and I'll define that in short by saying caring for people, wanting what's best for people, committing to them, challenging them to be at their best. They didn't know that that was just as necessary to great restaurant operations as it is to a healthy family at home. And as a result, upper, manager, the upper management was managing, not leading. Well, at this time, our human resources team had decided to hire all of our manager, management trainees, like what I was pretending to be, MITs, from outside the company. The vast majority of these MITs were white men like me. Interestingly, these MITs would come into the restaurant and be trained by the crew of the restaurant. Well, at that time, the crew in the restaurant were 87 percent Hispanic. So we literally had a Hispanic crew who were brilliant, who knew how to do everything in the restaurant, who were training these white men mostly to be their boss. And the crew were able to train these MIT candidates for the simple reason that the crew knew what they were doing. And yet these Mostly Hispanic crew remained in their hourly positions and seldom moved up into management roles. I remember during my training, sitting down for lunch one day with a fellow named Augustino who was one of the crew who was training me. I love this guy. And I'd spend a lot of time with him. He trained me. And I asked him, would you like to be a manager someday? And he gave me a look. And I'll never forget it. He gave me a look the exact same look that you'd give me. If I said to you right now, do you want to win the lottery? You'd look at me like, yeah, but what's the catch? You know, You see, Augustino had no reason to believe that he had any real chance of moving up into a management position. There was no discussion about that at all. So I went back to the corporate office with like a firecracker up my butt. And I said, within two years, folks, we are going to get rid of this MIT program and we are going to hire 100% of our restaurant managers from crew positions that are currently in our restaurants. Well, a lot of people told me they thought this was risky, maybe even outrageous. But to me, it was obvious. I mean, if we had incredibly capable crew, why wouldn't we train them to be the managers rather than hiring people with fast food experience and training them, especially when fast food experience is usually bad experience. So we set about building a new career ladder, which helped people move up in very logical steps from crew positions to management positions, and it was designed to recognize the brilliance of our crew and teach them to be our future managers. And then we created a culture where we cared about our people. We gave them a vision. We empowered them and we brought out the best in them. And the result of this, our crew became our future managers. And they were excellent. We stopped having, we got rid of the MIT program. We didn't hire people from outside anymore. And the crew became so good. I mean, excellent, phenomenal. Our GMs went from being mostly white men to being a diverse, multiracial group of men and women. And you know what? We did it without ever talking about race. We never talked about diversity. We just did it by doing the right thing. That is to say, helping crew members move up through the ranks so that many new faces moved up into management positions. I'll just digress for a moment to say in 2015, I'll, I remember the number, we promoted 10,500 people in management positions in that one year, 10,500. Anyway, all of this happened by simply applying the lessons that I learned from Dairy Queen and my law firm. To put it real briefly, Caring for others is the best way to build a strong business, and love is as critical at work as it is at home. So after my MIT training, I went back to the corporate office, and I had one-on-one meetings with every single person who worked there, just like I did with Will all those years ago. And I learned so much from everybody. And over time, I had those one-on-one conversations with over 25,000 people in the company. This desire to understand people, and by so, so doing, to create encouraging circumstances, was by this time at the core of how I led people. And these efforts, along with teaching people what empowerment really meant and how to empower their teams, caused an enormous shift in Chipotle's culture almost immediately, and everybody noticed. I mean, everybody. The shareholders noticed, the board of directors noticed, the analysts noticed. And the crew people noticed and their friends noticed because we had more people applying for crew positions than ever before. And there were better candidates, less people quit their jobs. We serve more customers faster with much, much, much better service. Our sales increased dramatically. And as our financial success soared, of course, our board of directors and shareholders noticed that, but I keep dropping this word empowerment, empowerment, empowerment. I haven't really told you what it means. You know, it's a word you hear a lot these days, but from what I see out in businesses and from what I hear, when I hear people talk about it. I don't think many people know what it means. Just go into any retailer right now, and let me tell you, do the people there look excited when you go into local retailers around your house? Do they look like they love their work? They look like they're having fun, look like they're doing their best? Well, not very often, sometimes, not very often. And in fact, most companies run a lot like what I described earlier when I first went into Chipotle. Well, I have a unique definition of empowerment. I'm gonna share it with you today. And I'm really proud of this definition because I think it's very helpful, not just in terms of understanding empowerment, but in terms of creating empowerment. You can just use the definition, and by using it, it's like a you know, if you you know use it, it's prescriptive. It will help you create empowerment by seeing what's missing. So let me read the definition here or say it. So empowerment is feeling. Well, first of all, it's a feeling. Empowerment is a feeling. Okay, so like love, it's a feeling. And like love, you can't demand someone have it. You know, you can't go up to someone and say, love me. You know, I mean, you can, but it's not going to work. And you can't go up to someone and say, be empowered. You're hereby empowered. That's not going to work. It's a feeling. Someone has to develop the feeling. How do they develop the feeling? Well, here, this definition says how empowerment is feeling confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances, such that you feel motivated and at liberty to fully devote your talents to a purpose. I'll say it again. Empowerment is a feeling. Feeling confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances, such that you feel motivated and at liberty to fully devote your talents to a purpose. Well, there's really two pieces to this definition, confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances. Confident in your ability really just means you're well-trained. You know what to do. And for the most part, I would say that people tend to, to do that one pretty well. In fact, most companies do too much of it. For most leaders, they tend to think that or most managers, I should say, they tend to think that every failure to meet standards is a training issue. But that's not the case. So let me go to the second part of the definition: encouraging circumstances, because this is the one that people don't do well. This is the one that almost statistically, almost no one does well in the corporate world right now, and this, we need to change this. Encouraging circumstances is where almost all managers and companies get it wrong, and it prevents them from becoming leaders, and it prevents them from harnessing the power of their people. So unless you have a company run solely by robots, it's devastating to your potential to fail to create encouraging circumstances for your people and you'll fall short of your goals and your dreams. So then how do you create encouraging circumstances? Well, I get into this in great detail in my book and uh, but I'll just go through it very briefly here. Basically, you give people a vision but you have to make sure it's a vision that's not just your vision but it's a vision that is also becomes their vision so that they want it for themselves. It has to be a vision that overlaps they want it you want it okay and then you have to do what you what i did with will when i was 15. you have to show your people that you you have to get to know them and value them and care about them learn to understand them love them you have to challenge them you have to invest in their success you have to give them your power so that they can carry your company or your organization on their shoulders you know when you give away your power or when you give people your power they feel more important. They care more, they work harder, they take ownership in the business. So empowerment really is about giving your power to others. And you know what's amazing? The more you give away your power, the more power you end up with. It's just like love. The more love you give in the world, the more you get. There's songs about that. It's well known, right? The more love you give, the more love you get. Well, the more power you give, the more power you get. You know, so empowerment, okay, is the holy grail of leadership. And it's the only way you can harness the power of your people. And as I keep saying, the foundation of empowerment is love. The foundation of empowerment is giving away your power. Love is giving away your power. So the duty of a leader is to empower other people to become the best version of themselves. That's what a leader does. Now, whether you oversee 75,000 people, as I did at Chipotle, or whether you oversee 75 people or 17 or one person, if you don't empower them, if you don't care for them, if you don't love them, you'll never fully harness their potential. But if you do, you will. So my understanding of empowerment led me to create at Chipotle what we called the Restaurant Tour program. And the Restaurant Tour program was a program where we would take our general managers who had demonstrated the ability to empower a team of all top performers to achieve high standards. So those three things, all empower you know, people who are top performers, empowered to achieve high standards. We find managers who could do that, and we would promote them to this elite position called Restaurant Tour. And the only way to receive as a general manager, this coveted promotion was to have the CEO, me, come into the restaurant and interview you. And these interviews I did by surprise. I didn't tell people I was coming. And so that meant that sometimes the general manager who I was interviewing wasn't even there. But guess what? It didn't matter. Why didn't it matter? Because I was really looking to see, do they have an empowered team? Is their team excited, lit up, enthusiastic, visionary, have a sense of ownership? Feel loved, cared for, seen, valued, understood. Well, eight years into my time as CEO, eight years into this the program's creation, I remember I was asked to visit one of our restaurants in London, England, to promote its manager, Karina, to the position of restaurant tour. Now, I had been told by this field leader that this is this one was gonna be a no-brainer. It's gonna be easy. You're gonna love this girl, she's incredible, her store's incredible, it's a slam dunk restaurant tour. And when I walked in, Sure enough, the place looked fantastic, gleaming, clean, bright, beautiful food, beautifully organized, beautiful people behind the counter, beautiful. Their uniforms were clean and looked great. But I knew in an instant it was not a restaurant to a restaurant. Why? Well, it didn't feel good. The air was heavy and serious. People didn't seem happy. Why does it matter? If it's so good, why does it matter? Well, it matters because it's not going to be sustainable. So I sat down with every one of the crew, one-on-one, and they were wonderful people. But they didn't really seem at liberty to be themselves. How could I tell? Well, they seemed afraid to be honest with me. They seemed afraid of Karina. It was clear she was a boss or a manager, but not really a leader. And after meeting with the whole team, you know, people didn't, I could tell they didn't feel like they really told me the truth, but I spent a lot of time with them, and eventually they told me a lot. And from what I learned from them, I then went and sat down with Karina. And when I sat down with Karina, I did the same as I did with Will all those years ago. First of all, though, I told her, your restaurant looks terrific. It's beautiful. And then I said, God, you must be working so hard. And when I said that, you must be working hard, it was like something cracked open. And Karina broke into tears. And she started telling me how she struggled, how she had no more hours to give, how she was working harder and harder and harder, how she was doing so much herself, how how she didn't feel like people were behind her and helping her enough. That sound a bit familiar? She was just like I was at my law firm before I realized that thing that I realized before I woke up and realized it to be a leader. I had to be about my people, not myself. I couldn't be the one solving every problem, nor was that good for my team. If I was, I couldn't be the one doing all the work, nor was that good for my team. If I was, and it was the same problem that Karina was going through. So as I explained this to Karina, her tears of despair became tears of relief. She started to feel seen, understood, valued and loved. She knew she could do it because I told her how I made the same mistake and how I overcame that mistake and how when I did, you know, it was wonderful. Anyway, so when I told Karina she was not a restaurateur, she already knew it didn't hurt her feelings. In fact, she was relieved because if what she was doing was a restaurateur, she didn't want it because she couldn't keep it up. So. I sat down and talked to her about how to become a leader, how to build a great culture, how to empower her team. I told her to sit down with her people one-on-one, expose her vulnerability, tell them that she couldn't do it all herself. Tell them she was sorry she hadn't been focused enough on helping them. Tell them that she needed them. I need you. Three hugely powerful words, hugely powerful words. And by saying, I need you, to let them know that they were critical to her success. They were critical to the success of the restaurant. They were critical to the team. So I told her to share her vision with them and explain how they fit into the vision and just tell them she just couldn't do it without them. Well, then I promised Karina, look, I'm going to come back in a couple of weeks. And I'll check in on you and see how it's going, but good luck. And, you know, thank you so much for all your hard work. And I hope this helps you. And I left. Some people won't even believe this, but I went back two weeks later. Doesn't two weeks seem too soon? Well, I went back two weeks later and when I returned in two weeks, the restaurant was magic. It was just as beautiful as it had been, but now it was filled with shiny, happy, empowered people. There was camaraderie. There was laughter. There was fun. It was, but it was still perfect in every way, more perfect. But not because Karina was leaning on on them anymore, but not because she was demanding their obedience, but because they were doing something they loved and believed in. They were a team of empowered top performers. They were a restaurant tour team, and they would not need to be managed anymore. You see, holding on to power is not powerful. It's weak. Trying to be powerful renders you powerless. It impedes your growth and the growth of those who who you work with. Sharing your power, giving it away to others, is the birthplace of true leadership. So what I would like to ask each of you today is to commit to do the following with the people in your lives. Four things. Number one, take the time to sit down and get to know, understand, and be curious about the people in your life. See them, value them, understand them, and love them. Commit to them. Tell them you need them, challenge them to be at their best. You know, it's funny, I'll digress for a moment. At Chipotle, what we figured out is almost any problem in the restaurant could be solved from the dining room, from sitting down with the people and empowering them. Then they'd go back and fix everything. So we didn't have to go fix all the little problems. We had to make sure the team was excellent. Likewise, whatever you're doing in your life, it can be made vastly better by energizing and empowering the people around you to be the very best they can be. That was all number one. The first part was take the time to sit down and see, value, understand and love your people. Okay, number two, commit to focus more on others than yourself and give away your power to the people around you. Remember, power is like love. The more you give, the more you get. And then you can give away even more and get even more and give away even more and get even more. So (laughs) three, empower the people around you to be at their very best by helping them be confident in their ability and encouraged by their circumstances. Remember, confident in their ability, probably not the problem. Encouraged by their circumstances. Focus on that one. Four, trust and believe that love is just as critical at work as it is at home and begin to act that way. Each of you has the ability to powerfully and positively change other people's lives by bringing the principles of empowerment and love into all aspects of your life, particularly the workplace. And when you take the time to see, value, love, and understand others, you change them. Just by doing that, you change them. And you begin to feel a sense of deep fulfillment in your own heart. It will change your life because the single most rewarding thing that any of us can do in our lifetime is to be a powerfully positive force in the lives of others. Leadership is not a skill limited to CEOs and executives. Remember that. We all have the opportunity to lead others, among our family members, our children, our friends, and our neighbors. We can all be leaders because someone is watching us. We can all be leaders because each of us sets an example. When others choose to follow that example, we can set an example of care, concern, respect, and a desire to see others at their very, very best. We can give away our power and watch as others blossom into the fullest version of themselves this is the meaning of life because each of us in this life will be rewarded based on our effectiveness in making the people around us better and the rewards will be rich and fulfilling and lasting thank you
1: forward slash now to get started.